0: Welcome to the Scoop and Score podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? You a little more gold. Hi, hi. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week five of the college football season. Depending on what, when you want to say the season truly ends, we are somewhere between a quarter and a third of the way through this 2019 season. I can't believe how fast it's flying. We've got one more weekend here of September, and then we'll be into October where things really start to take shape. This was a pretty uh, formative week throughout college football. I, of course, was at the marquee game of the weekend down in Athens, Georgia, to see number seven Notre Dame take on the number three Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, before I get into the game, I just want to talk a little bit about my weekend. It's you know when I, when I had a co-host uh, that that co-host who we may be hearing from uh, a little later in this week's episode would ask me uh, about my weekend and my travels and, and give me a reason uh, to talk about it. Now it's a little bit weird. It's, it's just me deciding to tell you, and I don't even know who you are. I am talking into my computer screen uh, just about my weekend, but it was lovely. Uh, played some golf uh, early, early Friday morning. They they let us go out as a fivesome, which was nice. Shout out to Tommy, Joe, Brian, and Max. We we had a nice uh, nice round of golf out there on the links, despite the fact that uh, before before eight a.m. Uh, some Georgia fan told me that uh, be careful uh, going near the woods because I might not come out. So that was really pleasant. Uh, but aside from that. Uh, Athens was incredible. The Georgia fans were unbelievably welcoming. Uh, not to exaggerate, we, we as just we were walking around, or even uh, in one instance when we were just sitting down eating, um, Georgia fans came up to us and spent two to five minutes telling us you know, what a great time they had in South Bend in 2017 and how they made a, a promise themselves that they were going to make sure uh, that they were just as welcoming uh, to our fans, and and it was truly, it was great. Uh, we were just walking around. People were asking us if we were having a good time. Just kind of giving us, uh, you know, uh, references and and tips unsolicited on on what we should be doing and and where we should be going. So everyone was really pleasant, and uh, and that certainly is uh, is appreciated when you go on the road. Because really, you know, no no need for any sort of hostility. Uh, before or after the game? During the game, sure. Let's uh, let's get after it and you know keep it civil. But certainly, uh, no need to, to be buddy buddy during the game. But beforehand, um, and and afterwards, uh, it's it's certainly nice when you can just uh, be civil and uh, and really enjoy enjoy the uh, the celebration of college football. Also, need to give a shout out to on good barbecue. Uh, a, a little, a little barbecue joint in Athens that I managed to eat at three times in like an eighteen-hour span. Uh, they also came up huge um, with their willingness to store our cases of white claw uh, behind the counter, so that we were able to uh, leave, leave our white claws, go to a bar, and then come back get our white claws and attend uh, attend a tailgate at a frat house later on so huge shout out to doggone good barbecue if you happen to find yourself in Athens make sure you get that pulled pork and the mac and cheese the mac and cheese was arguably the best mac and cheese I have ever had uh it really gives the truffle mac and cheese uh at MetLife Stadium a run for its money there um so that was sort of the the pre-game and just Athens in general uh side of things, the game itself was well, it was it was unbelievable. Uh the stadium was the loudest I have ever been in. Uh Clemson was certainly loud. Um Michigan Stadium works itself up certainly at times. Uh they they can get themselves going on like a key third down. But this Georgia crowd was non-stop just top-notch volume anytime Notre Dame was on defense. I've been a part of loud crowds. Um, it's it's really easy to be loud early in the game. It's really easy to be loud on a third down. What's not easy is to give up a big play and immediately cause a false start penalty. On the, on the ensuing, you know, first and 10. And that is something that Georgia did multiple times. This crowd was incredible. Their light display was awesome. The stadium itself was beautiful. I'm partial to a full bowl myself, uh, such as Notre Dame or Michigan Stadium. So this had a little bit of open air in one of the two end zones, but it was really uh, a beautiful stadium. I was up high, um, had a great view of the whole thing, and it was just an awesome environment. In terms of the game, if you listened last week, uh, Notre Dame certainly played better than I expected. Uh, the offense played exactly as I expected. I predicted uh, their number of points correctly, and it looked a lot like the way that I thought it was going to look. Uh, they, they were not able to run the ball, and I'm glad that they didn't. Uh, it was, it was going to be a futile effort. If you want to sit there and say, oh, the reason they couldn't win the game is because you'll never win a game like that without establishing the run, if Notre Dame tried to establish the run in that game, they would have scored zero points because the run just never would have been established. Uh, they did a lot of good, you know, drag routes across the middle. Uh, something that something they utilized against Michigan actually in in the season opener last year, where they knew there was going to be a lot of pressure coming at the quarterback. You can beat pressure by slipping a tight end or a receiver kind of just in front of the linebackers there, um, and and and. You know, if there's man coverage and they're bringing pressure, that can lead to some catch and runs that can go for like 12 to 15 yards. You saw Notre Dame do that with both Cole Komet and Chase Claypool a few times in this game, and they are able to move the ball pretty nicely. Uh, I was certainly concerned with some of the play calling uh, down near the goal line. Uh, that's one instance where maybe our our concerns about our ability to get any push on the offensive line just led to some kind of crazy play calls. Uh, but ultimately, they, they did score when they got down there, so uh, not a major concern there. The key difference was the defense. Um, you know, when I watched uh, when I watched the game live from the stadium, I thought maybe Georgia was a little too conservative in their play calling, and I thought that you know we were just kind of doing a good job plugging up holes. I rewatched the first half of the game just now uh, on my TV, and I gotta say, Notre Dame was it was even better than I thought. Um, these linebackers that looked so lost uh, in the first game and really kind of the first two games of the season were flying to the ball. Uh, They were diagnosing plays, maybe more so than the athleticism and the tackling, was the fact that they were really diagnosing plays. They were seeing where the holes were going to be. They were anticipating screen passes. It was really, really impressive stuff from them. Uh, The question to me is, will they be able to keep this level of play up when they play another mobile quarterback, uh, which we'll be talking about uh, a little bit later in the show as they've got one coming into town uh, this coming week. But overall, uh, I'm, I'm heaping a lot of praise on the Irish because I really thought uh, they played better than expected. The offense is going to need to get better, but they, they have the built-in uh, benefit of they're going to get players back. They're missing Michael Young, who's supposed to start the season as a starting wide receiver. He's been out all year. He's coming back. Uh, They're starting running back and really the only running back that's probably a potential uh, playmaker on this team and a difference maker. He's injured. They'll get him back in the middle of the year. So as they start to get these players back, that'll just be adding weapons. Uh, So, you know, it'll be kind of a two-pronged approach of growth where – First, yes, they'll just get better through experience and and growing together as a team, and then you'll be you know spiking that growth with getting some of these new playmakers back, and that will certainly uh, benefit the Irish moving forward. Now, I just uh, I just talked about how great the losing team in this game was. So, what is that? What what's the takeaway with Georgia? I. I think they are exactly what we thought, uh, and I know that uh, you know with Dennis Green. That might be a negative connotation, but in this case, it's really a positive. Jake Fromm is just rock solid. Um, Notre Dame brought up pressure, and they they succeeded in bringing pressure a lot of times. And he stands in there. He knows exactly where the pressure is coming from and when it's going to get home. He gets rid of the ball uh, exactly when he needs to. He threw the back shoulder throws probably three or four of them, Uh, certainly one to to Lawrence Cager for what proved to be the game-winning touchdown, but also some crucial third-down conversions to get get passes past the sticks uh, on the sideline. Just some incredible back-shoulder throws uh, from Jake Fromm. So he is certainly a championship-level quarterback that can lead this team. DeAndre Swift, that running back group, uh, as good as advertised. Uh, Couldn't hold them down all game. And, you know, this defense, really strong secondary, J.R. Reed with an amazing interception in this game, they're just, they're steady all the way around. There's no team that's going to be able to blow them out because they don't have a glaring weakness. Now, do they have the explosive firepower of a Clemson or an Alabama? No, they don't. But right now, I think I'd take the Georgia defense over the Alabama defense, given all the injuries to Alabama, and Clemson... I'll say, I'll say it once an episode going forward. I think Clemson's going to win 45 games in a row. So, no, I don't think Georgia's as good as Clemson. But they're certainly the kind of team that can slow the game down and you know not, avo- not allow giant explosive plays that allow Clemson to rip off three touchdowns in six minutes the way they did both against Notre Dame and Alabama in the playoffs last year. So I fully expect Georgia to cruise through the SEC East. Uh, I think they will have every chance of winning the SEC championship game, whether they're playing Alabama or LSU or Auburn, um, and and certainly uh, they're going to be a real candidate for the playoffs. I don't think we're going to have to check in on them again much uh, until until late November, maybe even early December uh, with the Bulldogs. Uh so that's it for that game. Uh, throughout the weekend, other games of note won on Friday night. USC knocked off number 10 Utah, 30-23. Uh, Keaton Slovis goes down in this game, so Matt Fink has to come in. He's like their fifth-string quarterback uh, when they started fall camp. Uh, he threw for 351 yards and three touchdowns, proving that this air raid thing might just be here to stay. Uh, Cram Harrell being able to coach up all these quarterbacks so that they're not missing a beat no matter how many get injured. And with the loss to Utah, Cal is the only remaining undefeated team in the Pac-12. They were able to move to 4-0, winning 28-20 down at Ole Miss this week. So this is... uh, you know, it's just tough for the Pac twelve. Not to write off the whole Pac twelve. I think Utah's a good team. I think Washington's a good team. I think Oregon's a good team. And I think USC is a good team. And Cal's still undefeated. But they're just they're not gonna make the playoff. There's no there's not gonna be a representative from the Pac twelve in the college football playoff this year. And the West Coast people can be upset about that, but there's there's no bias There's something going on. It's just these teams are not good enough. Uh they 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 just uh there's definitely uh now, the ceiling on the Pac-12 teams right now is not as high as the ceiling on the teams in some of the other conferences, and for that reason, it's just unlikely that any team is going to get through the season at better than, say, 10-2 and two or 9-3, and three, and that's just not going to cut it uh, in with the strength of schedule trying to make the college football playoff. Uh Noon game on Saturday, Wisconsin and Michigan, and uh, I'll this will just I'll get it out of the way. I went 0 3 in my picks this week. I'm sorry, that won't happen again. In fact, I'm going to go 3 0 this week just to make it up to everyone. So if you want to really uh, win some money, just parlay all three of them. We're going to win. I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, this game did not go as I expected. Uh, for one, Wisconsin was able to just line up. And say, hey, we're going to run the football. We're, we're, we're making it pretty clear that we're going to run the football. And they did exactly that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor ran wild in the first quarter. He actually uh, was out of this game uh, for, for quite some time. And some guy in Wisconsin that I have never heard of uh, picked up the slack, no problem. Michigan's run defense was majorly uh, concerning. I I talked going into the year, uh, and, I, and I expected Michigan to be uh, a 10-2 team this season. That being said, I didn't think that they were going to be in the upper echelon of college football this year because I didn't understand how people expected them to replace Chase Winovich, Rashan Gary, Devin Bush in that defensive front seven. They've those are those were three big-time playmakers for them, and I just there was no way that kind of production was going to be replaced in one year. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has certainly been recruiting well at Michigan. Nothing outrageous. You know, they're they're in that kind of 8-15 to 15 rage on a regular basis. So he's not bringing in the, the same level of talent that Clemson and Alabama and Georgia have over the last three years where they can just plug and play freshmen and sophomores who are just ready to go. That is not the case here with this Michigan team, and we are seeing it in the front seven with teams being able to run on them uh, and, and Michigan not winning the battle at the line of scrimmage in either of their last two games. Um, this is this. Then on the flip side, you know, Wisconsin, their defense, allowed zero points through the first 10 quarters of the season. They are clearly a really well balanced team. Uh, Jim Leonard coaching that defense, doing an incredible job. Uh, Jack Cohn, I'm not quite ready to say that I think he can be. Championship level quarterback yet, uh, but he certainly showed accuracy and just a total command of the offense in this game. This performance jumps Wisconsin up a tier, in my opinion. They're now right uh, very much in that range uh, with, I guess, with like Notre Dame, for example, uh, in a team that's sort of just behind that group. Of, you know, let's call it third tier. If, if, if Alabama and Clemson are by themselves and you've got Georgia, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma and maybe LSU uh, in, in tier two, then let's put Texas, Notre Dame, uh, Wisconsin. I apologize if I'm missing anyone. You know, those three sound good right now. Texas, Texas Wisconsin, Notre Dame will be right there in tier three. And, uh, and yes, they're looking like they're going to have uh, you know, not too tough a time continuing their dominance, dominance in their side of the Big Ten uh, in the Big Ten West there. I would not be shocked uh, to see them you know, probably you – know, they go to Ohio State this year. They should have no problem getting to 11-1 going to the Big Ten championship game. And if they can you know, follow them that up with a win – the playoff re- uh, road is definitely there for Wisconsin, and they can probably even afford one loss uh, down the road depending on depending on how things play out. So certainly watch out for Wisconsin in this one. Uh, just I didn't mention uh, the offensive side of the ball for Michigan. You know, it's we talked about it a little bit uh, well two weeks ago. Is it a quarterback problem? Is it a game planning problem? That's going to be the question going forward. If I had to make a prediction, I think that Michigan is just going to completely rip the training wheels off and just start firing the ball downfield. It is very obvious that the strength of this team is the wide receivers and the downfield thr- the downfield ability of all of the wide receivers. I think they are just going to start... Remember Trace McSorley at Penn State uh, in the earlier years, before they had established... Uh, really what they were. It was really just Trace McSorley launching the ball downfield over and over and picking up either pass interferences or just big chunk plays. I've always been a big proponent of, in college football, just keep throwing bombs, and one of them will either be a blown coverage or a pass interference, and you'll be fine. It's a really good way to play offense. I would not be surprised. Josh Gaddis was at Penn State uh, at that time. I think we might see Michigan go towards that sort of offense where they're just pushing the ball downfield nonstop. And let's see if that changes things for the Michigan offense, because that would be, I think, more suited to what Shape Adderson can maybe do, um, and and we'll just see if that if that plays out. Otherwise, uh, I just I don't know what the answer is at quarterback, but I think we might be seeing a scheme change in Ann Arbor uh, coming up, and and, uh, and yeah, that's it for that game. Um, Auburn and Texas A&M. Auburn won this game 28 to 20, controlled it really from start to finish. The game was not as close as that final score would indicate. Texas A&M, I mentioned it last week and part of the reason I thought they were going to win the game uh was that, you know, if they if they couldn't win that one, which of these tough games are they going to win? This could very easily be a 7 and 5 season for the Aggies without them even really having a bad loss on the schedule. Uh, Auburn, does this make them a contender? Uh, Bo Nix went into a hostile road environment and played well. What is the ceiling for Auburn? I still know. I haven't, uh, I haven't watched them a ton, but certainly an impressive performance on the road and can't forget about them. Uh, They're a team that I would add to that tier. Of course, Uh, Auburn would be added to that third tier I was talking about earlier. They are a team that does not want to be forgotten. In that SEC picture, so many team, so many people are talking about could the SEC get three teams in the playoffs with both Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Auburn does not want to be left out of that kind of conversation. They certainly feel like they are right there with the big dogs and will have some sort of say in who wins the SEC West. Um, Florida beat Tennessee thirty-four to three. The only reason that that is worth mentioning is uh, replacement quarterback Kyle Trask. Came in and looked more than capable, throwing for 293 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I still don't see Georgia, uh, Florida providing any sort of test in the SEC East for Georgia, but uh, certainly it looks like the, the bottom won't be dropping out on this Florida season based on that performance. Uh, Texas held on to beat Oklahoma State 36-30. Uh, Oklahoma state did take a 23 to 21 lead in the third quarter. So certainly impressive, uh, performance by that young team on the road, but Sam Ellinger was just too much through for four touchdowns, uh, a couple late, a long one late to put the game away. This Texas team is good. Uh, certainly, uh, tough, you know, tough loss two, th- two weeks ago to LSU, but, um, I would expect them to, to take that in stride going forward And uh, with their their next big matchup now in the Red River Rivalry, uh, three or four weeks away at this this point. Um, Two more wild games from the weekend to talk about. First, Pitt knocks off UCF 35-34. UCF's first regular season loss since 2016, although their streak of scoring 30-plus points still intact. This was an interesting game in which Pitt took a 21 nothing lead, jumped on him early. UCF then went on a 31 nothing run to take a 10-point lead. And Pitt came back uh, using the Pitt special to cap the game-winning drive. I like that, you know, thank you to F- Nick Foles and, and uh, Doug Peterson for now. Just any any play where, you know, you're doing some trickery, we're just going to, we, we can't come up with something more exotic than uh, coming up with, with your name of your program, and then just putting the word special after it. That's where we are. Um, you gotta wonder if you're a Pitt fan, would you are Are you asking yourself, hey, or not yourself, but are you asking Pat Narduzzi, where was this against Penn State a week earlier? Could Could we not have maybe used this play to get into the end zone uh, on f- starting with first and goal at the one? Um, so. I don't know certainly great news for Pitt, but uh, I, I can't help but think that uh, Pat Narduzzi's decisions continue to just absolutely confound me. And you got to be wonder, was UCF caught looking ahead to their big matchup next weekend? Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, and the final game of the weekend, not just in the in terms of the games I'm talking about. But in terms of when they ended, and I hear that siren, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This was the craziest sporting event in human history, uh, or craziest major sporting event in human history. I'm sure there's been some crazy sporting event in like I some sport I've never heard of. Um, there might have been some wild highlight game game uh, at some point. This would be the craziest, um, we'll call it the craziest football game of all time, and that's UCLA beating Washington State 67-63. to 63. UCLA scored 50 points, 5-0, in the last 18 minutes and 48 seconds of game time. They were trailing 49-17 to 17 at this point, scored four touchdowns in four minutes and 20 seconds to come storming back, then the teams traded some scores, UCLA getting the last laugh Winning by four. This is one of those box scores that I'm going to have fun looking back on for many years to come. Right up there with that uh, Oklahoma Texas Tech uh, Baker Mayfield versus Pat Mahomes box score. Right up with that Michigan Rutgers box score where Michigan won 77 to nothing or whatever it was. Um, Just some crazy numbers in this one. Combined 1,377 yards between the two teams. Anthony Gordon. Threw for nine touchdown passes in a losing effort, breaking the school record. I should also note that this was important, and part of the reason I was paying attention to it was because I have Anthony Gordon on my college fantasy team, and I needed just about every one of those touchdown passes to get the win. So thank you to Anthony Gordon for your 65-point fantasy performance. And uh, it was nice, uh, nice following this game while waiting for, uh, for our 3 a.m. food delivery to arrive Unfortunately, the game ended before the food showed up, and therefore there was really no incentive or help, helpful aid in terms of staying a week awake for whenever that food did arrive. I mentioned I was staying up late waiting for food to arrive, and I was doing so lying on the couch in my comfortable house that I was able to stay at using RentLikeAChampion.com. RentLikeAChampion.com worked out great for my trip to Athens. Uh it's just you know you want to use it go to rentlikeachampion.com use promo code scoop the deals are so hot they're sending the fire department here right now to put out the fire that is the hot deals um or perhaps that's the police coming to arrest me before i give out promo code scoop because the deal is so good it's like stealing You'll get maybe $25 off. I'm not 100% sure. Go to rentlikeachampion.com if you're going to a college football game, or really if you're doing anything. Uh, it's a great place to find a house to rent, and you'll have a great time with all your friends, and maybe some guy will end up uh, stealing your spot on the couch and you have to sleep on the floor. I don't know. That didn't happen to me. It might have happened to someone. Uh, but, hey, you know, you just never know. That's why you use Rent like a Champion. You specify number of beds and you don't run into that kind of problem in the future. Um, one other thing that I want to mention here during halftime before we get into what to expect in Week 5. D. R. King announced uh, this week, the quarterback at Houston, that he will be sitting out the remainder of this football season. He has played four games, so he can technically use the redshirt rule to sit out. And he says he's going to you know, come back and play for Houston next year. This is a really interesting development uh, when it comes to this rule. Now, I think it would be great if D.R. King does come back. Uh, they want to play for uh, a conference championship and maybe beyond that, and this season has not gone the way they wanted it to. The defense has been terrible. Uh, through no through no fault of D.R. King, uh, they've already got a few losses on the books, and they don't see this season ending in the success that they want. Uh, so the quarterback and I believe a couple other players are are redsharing and just saying, let's run it back next year. Now, of course, this opens up the possibility for King to go to a school like a Florida State or an Oklahoma next, you know, someone who could be looking for a one year, quote unquote, free agent quarterback. This will be a very interesting thing to keep an eye on uh, as we get into November, December to see if he is true to his word uh, and stays in school or does decide to transfer uh, after the season and go be a mercenary there for lack of a better term. To be clear, whatever he chooses to do is is fine with me. I think uh, you know this rule is in place and and players have the freedom uh, to do and utilize this this rule however they want to. So if this is how he wants to take advantage of it, uh, I support it. Um, and, and it's just something that's really interesting, uh, to keep an eye on and whether or not this is something we see more of, you know, if a, if a season is lost, uh, does, does a player decide to register and say, let's just run it back. I think a lot of players would have aspirations of, of going pro at least, you know, the kind of players that, uh, this would pertain to and, and would actually be impactful enough to want to do this. Um, but, but King is an example dual threat quarterback, probably not quite, uh, doesn't have the NFL aspirations. So will he just want to go to a higher profile program, uh, or, or, you know, will he stick and and do what he said he's going to do? Certainly, uh, certainly an interesting story there and, uh, could open up, uh, this, this kind of scenario, uh, to, to more examples going forward. It kind of just takes one and then it becomes a story. You remember, you know, it was, just such a novel concept for someone to skip a bowl game, and now it's it's almost the norm. Again, I want to make it very clear: I don't have problems with players skipping bowl games. Whatever they think is best for them, you know that's that's up to them. And and you as a fan have a right to be upset. Um, so kind of ev- everyone's uh, everyone is entitled to their opinions and their feelings. Uh, but ultimately, uh, each of these players is going to make whatever decision they think is best. And, uh, you know, however that impacts how you feel about them or, you know, even how maybe uh, an NFL GM feels about them, that's, uh, that's their business. So something to keep an eye on there in, in, in a sport that's just always, you know, so much interesting stuff going on. Uh, a situation where we could be looking at just another transfer quarterback going to Oklahoma. And uh, at that point, could it be the fourth, the fourth straight Heisman winner uh, transfer uh, at, at Oklahoma, that would certainly be something. Week 5, you know, when I first was looking at the slate, uh, I thought it it looked like another apple-picking-type weekend. I should note my brother Brian pointed out two weeks ago when I said go apple-picking. He pointed out that it was much too early for apple-picking. It's probably still too early for apple-picking. I don't know when you're supposed to pick apples. They have them for me at the office, um, so I, I don't actually... I I think I've gone Apple Picking like once. It wasn't that pleasant a thing to do, to be honest. So whatever activity it is the right season for, um, you should feel free to do that in your free time. But what I'm here to tell you is this weekend has better games than might meet the eye. If you're just looking for ranked matchups, not a lot there, but there are some solid games here um, to to get this week five going. First on Friday night, Nothing awesome, but three games that are maybe worth tuning into. You've got Duke at Virginia Tech. You've got Penn State going to Maryland. And you've got Arizona State going to Cal. I don't really have anything to say about those games, but uh, could be could be zero undefeated teams in the Pac-12 after Friday night. And watch out for, for Penn State having to go uh, and play a sneaky night road test at Maryland. We'll see... Uh, could be a bit of a scare for the Nittany Lions in that one. Um, Now the noon slate on Saturday is effectively trash. So that's when you can go and do your apple picking or your pumpkin picking or your picking of any sort of vegetation that you might want to do. Uh, But at 3.30, we've got number 18, Virginia, visiting number 10, Notre Dame. I think that this is going to be a very close game. Notre Dame can say all it wants about, you know, each game is is its own focus and and they didn't put too much into that Georgia game, but it is impossible to have the same level in t- of intensity for Virginia at home during the day as you did going to Georgia at night in front of that crowd on the road. And the problem here is that We've seen Notre Dame have letdown games, or really any. This isn't a Notre Dame problem. This is a college football problem. You can have a letdown game in a lesser environment with what is perceived to be lower stakes. Unfortunately, this Virginia team is arguably the second best team on Notre Dame's schedule. And yes, I said arguably, so don't freak out Michigan or USC fans. um, But certainly a case can be made that Notre Dame has to follow up the game against their best opponent, with the game against their second-best opponent. Bryce Perkins leads this Virginia team, um, both figuratively and literally. He leads them in both passing and rushing. Um, And this is a good team. They're they're 4-0 at this point. They have wins at Pitt and and versus VCU. Uh, uh, Sorry, I don't know where VCU came from. Uh, Versus FSU. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall, uh, he's known for having a tough defense. He has brought a couple BYU teams into Notre Dame and, and really given them uh, tough, difficult games. So he, uh, he certainly knows how to coach against a Brian Kelly-led Fighting Irish team. I mentioned getting some weapons back. Notre Dame is expecting back in this one. They'll also get backup running back, your back, so that should help lighten the load for Tony Jones some. I see this game being incredibly close, like one-point kind of close, final drive kind of close. Ultimately, I will pick Notre Dame. But the fact that that Bryce Perkins is a dual-threat guy, I think we could see the linebackers revert to some of the the worst play that we saw in the first two games of the season compared with against Georgia when they were able to pin their ears back and, and play more downhill than worrying about misdirection and what the quarterback might be doing and, and whether it was going to the outside. Uh, that being said, I do think some of that progress was real. I don't think it was purely scheme-based. And I think this team, two years ago they lost to Georgia. They went on to steamroll everyone until that Miami game. They, they had a real uh, you know, determination about them. Uh, I, I was told there was a players-only meeting called on Monday uh, when the team uh, arrived back. You know, for practice after this Georgia loss. I think they will refocus. They know what's in front of them. They know that there's still a great season out there. And I will say, Notre Dame wins this game by one point. But I, you know, I, there are people who saw Notre Dame play a close game against Georgia and say, "Oh, they should roll through most of their schedule, eleven and one, no problem." Listen, I said that I wasn't going to take take anything too negative away from that Notre Dame-Georgia game. You know, if Notre Dame got blown out, I was still going to think they were probably a 10-2 team. And just because they lost close, I'm still thinking they're probably a 10-2 team. So this game certainly could be a loss. Um, it, it's certainly going to be close. And, uh, and I just hope that Notre Dame is able to pull that one out. But given how close I think it's going to be, I did give out as one of my three picks this week. Virginia plus 11, I think that is a really solid bet. I don't see this being a two-score uh, game in either direction. Uh, also at 330, USC, number 21 now after beating Utah, goes to number 7, Washington. Uh, Slovis is, is still in concussion protocol, so it's unclear on his status, although with what Matt Fink did, um, I think that uh, really whoever plays quarterback should be just fine. For USC. These are two teams in a very similar spot. Both have one loss. Uh, both have some, some tough opponents ahead of them and can really still salvage good seasons, but they were two teams with very different expectations. Washington fully expected to be undefeated at this point and hoping to go for an undefeated season, where USC was pretty much prepared to fire their head coach. Uh, you know, Before the season started, you would have looked at the first six games and said, oh, that could be two and four, three and three. Uh, so let's just get through this and fire the coach. Now they've got Washington this week, then a bye, then Notre Dame. They could be looking at like an incredible 5-1 and one start. Um, so certainly a lot at stake for both teams here. I just think Chris Peterson, uh, the fact that he's going to get to uh, prepare his team for what is essentially the fourth or fifth string guy at USC, I think Washington at home is able to win this game. And this gauntlet of tough games for USC just proves to be a little bit too much. Also at 330, uh, sneaky undefeated Wake Forest, uh, number 24 in one poll, number 26 in another, goes to Boston College. I saw this as a seven and a half point spread. I gave this out as my second pick of the week. I just, I wouldn't have been shocked if BC was favored in this game. Uh, I know they lost to Kansas. I know they didn't look very good against Rutgers. But I don't my, my thoughts on this BC team have not changed dramatically uh, from the start of the season. I would have totally understood BC favored by about a point and a half, would have also understood Wake Forest maybe favored by two and a half, three, but I just can't understand laying more than a touchdown here. So I'm absolutely gonna pick up those points, and I'm gonna pick BC to win outright. I think AJ Dillon is just gonna be too much for this Wake Forest defense. Um, I, I think he's going to have his way. He could run for as many. Let's call it. Let's set the AJ Dillon over under at about 176 and a half yards. I think he's going to have a huge day. BC still has their hopes for what could be an eight or maybe even a nine-win season. Get over that seven and five hump. That being said, on the flip side, if Wake wins this game, there's an actual chance that they could be like nine and zero oh heading into Clemson. Granted, almost all of their games are, you know, none of them are like locks. They're, they're mostly against teams that are comparable to Wake. But what I've seen from Wake Forest with those receivers, Scotty Washington, Sage Sherratt, uh, Jamie Newman getting the ball out to them, it's an impressive team, a really nice offense. Uh, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could be looking at like a 9-0 and Wake Forest team uh, heading into that game against Clemson. But I do think they will drop this one up in Chestnut Hill, uh, going down uh, with, with A.J. Dillon leading the way for B.C. Uh, a few others at 3.30 just worth keeping an eye on. Iowa State goes to Baylor. Uh, Baylor's still undefeated. Iowa State a road favorite in that one. Uh, I do expect Iowa State to come out on top, but uh, but we'll see what Matt Rule, he's, he's been building that program uh, since taking over, and uh, and we'll see what Baylor is capable of in that uh, Minnesota, who is undefeated, goes to Purdue. Uh, Purdue just 1-2, and two, disappointing start to the season. Uh, but I certainly uh, would not be surprised to see Purdue come away with the win. We'll have to see if uh, Purdue quarterback Elijah Sindler is able to play in that When He's kind of the key uh, for moving that offense. He was knocked out a couple weeks ago with a concussion and has been working through that. Uh, then in the night slate, starting at 7 o'clock, Mississippi State goes to Auburn. Mississippi State coming off a 15-point win versus Kentucky, so certainly uh, an impressive performance there. We were just just talking about whether or not Auburn could be uh, a real legit contender in the SEC uh, or at least the SEC West. And is it possible that Auburn could get caught looking ahead to a road trip to Gainesville? Uh, they do play Florida next week. So is Mississippi State in a position to come in and steal a win in Jordan Hare? I'd say no, but that certainly could be a close one and, uh, and could get Auburn could be getting a scare in that one. I would not be surprised to see that game close in the fourth quarter. Also at seven, Kansas State goes to Oklahoma State. This is my third and final pick of the week. I love Oklahoma State here uh, giving four points. Kansas State, Undefeated in this one, but an underdog on the road. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I, I talked about Oklahoma State last week and and how much I like uh, their their skill position players on offense. I think they have the chance any game to score. You know, in the high thirties, low forties. That's typically not the kind of game Kansas State wants to play. Um, but I think uh, the the will of the home team wins out here, and the Cowboys are able to win that game. Uh, by more than one score. That's why I would lay the points and take Oklahoma State in that one. Uh, Maybe the biggest game of the nighttime session, uh, the the site of game day, you've got number five, Ohio State, visiting Nebraska. Uh, Ohio State's defense has been so good. Bryce Young and, and that defensive line has been getting after quarterbacks. No reason to believe they will not continue that trend, getting after Adrian Martinez. Uh, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, the young receiving core, they've just been excellent for Ohio State so far. Uh, With Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer, they have not missed a beat. I see no real X's and O's reason on paper why Nebraska should win this game. And that being said, sometimes in college football, the outcome predictions just aren't logical. They're not based in, in, in anything that I can point to on the paper and say why. But I just think Scott Frost, they've been knocking on the door. They've played a lot of close games. I think this is the chance for a little Lincoln Magic. And Scott Frost and, and Adrian Martinez get the huge win and take down Ohio State. Ohio State has stubbed their toe on the road the last couple seasons in, in games where they were expected to win easily. I think this is that game this year. I'll take the Cornhuskers outright. They beat the Ohio State Buckeyes, and they will be partying in Lincoln, Nebraska, on Saturday night. Uh, At 10 o'clock, little Pac-12. How can you not go Pac-12 after dark after what we witnessed last weekend? Washington State goes to Utah. Two teams suffered disappointing losses uh, last week, but both teams still able to contend in the Pac-12. Washington State in the North. Utah in the South, so certainly uh, certainly an exciting matchup there and two very different styles of play should be a fun one to watch. There is one other game on the slate that I have to talk about. I mentioned earlier, was it possible that UCF got caught looking ahead when they played Pittsburgh? Of course, they were looking ahead to the final iteration of one of the greatest college football rivalries in existence. A college football rivalry that is near and dear to the heart and soul of the Scoop and Score podcast. I'm talking about the civil conflict between the UCF Knights and the UConn Huskies. Given that UConn is leaving the American Athletic Conference, this will be the final game in this series for the foreseeable future. I will first, before giving my final thoughts, read a statement from Andrew Kahn, a former contributor to the Scoop and Score podcast. You may remember him. He was a guest earlier this season. The following is from Andrew, and I quote, I am deeply saddened to see this great college football rivalry between the University of Connecticut and Central Florida University come to an end. It has survived six different head coaches and two different scoop and score lead hosts. The matchup endured much ridicule over the years, mostly surrounding its trophy. I do look forward to an update from Steven as to the current status of a trophy, Won the scoop and score podcast appreciated and defended. Lastly, at the very top of the civil conflict Wikipedia page, there is text that reads, not to be confused with the Civil War. This is an important distinction, I think, and one worth remembering as these teams prepare for their final battle. End quote. I'm not sure what he means by two different scoop and score lead hosts. Perhaps perhaps he's talking about Brian Curtis, who really does do a nice job of leading the show any time that he uh, comes on as a guest. So, yeah, good Good, good call there, Andrew. Um, boy, he I, he kind of gave me a homework assignment in that statement. And well said, everything he said, well said. Uh, I don't. We gave an update on, as, as to the whereabouts of the trophy. I, I think a season ago, um, it was just kind of left in the rain. No one seemed to know where it was. I'll do. Here we go. I'll do a quick, I'll do a quick Google search right now. There does not seem to be any new information on the internet. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of things about the Civil War era. There's no the search for the Civil... Yeah, there has not been any update on this story since 2018. So, we don't know where the trophy is. Perhaps it's best that way. This will be the final game. It will... I, I hope something special happens. I have to imagine this will be about a 95-point blowout. But perhaps that's... That's the proper way for the civil conflict to end. And as we go into the final conflict, let it be civil. And to the game, a great rivalry that I've always supported and admired, let me just say, UCF and UConn, may your next meeting be televised exclusively that concludes the scoop and score podcast everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it i award you no points and may god have mercy on your soul